going to be talking about timing and how at times in a relationship, if you have a different sense of timing, it can mess your relationship up. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, one of my, my best friends from college, I went to spend time with him uh, this past spring uh, to preach up at his church. And, and I love Wiley. He's one of my best friends. But it reminded me that our, our sense of timing is just completely different. I, I consider myself a pretty social person, but I don't compare to him. And so if we, I, I remember learning in college to not get in the car with him. You ever, you ever had someone like that that you didn't? Because you were stuck. You know what I'm saying? Once you got there, it was his agenda. And so we'd be on our way to church and it'd be late for me to preach. And he's got to stop by some bakery to introduce me to some woman, you know. Or he's got to take me to some bookstore to some friend of his. Luke was with us. He can tell you. He'd be on the phone talking to a friend and say, Hey, I want you to talk to my great buddy from college. Here, here's buddy. Would you talk to him? I mean, it just, it just was crazy, the sense of timing. And I, I remember, do not get in the car with this man. You're never going to make it on time. Some of you like to make fun of me about this because I like things to start on time and end on time, unless I'm preaching. But, but I like things to start on time and end on time. I sort of, you know, like there to be an agenda. I hate to go to a meeting where nothing actually happens. Some of you are that way. And I've learned that you know me well. Two men I've invited to lunch over the last month text me back and said, I'd be glad to go to lunch with you, but I know you always have an agenda. What is this going to be about? And in some of you actually watch me during the Lord's Supper you t- to see how uptight I get if the guy goes long. Anybody in here watch me that way? Okay, I see some confessions there. Because I'm going to tell you, I am completely chilled out about the Lord's Supper, all right? I don't know what happened in Birmingham today, but it took 5 minutes and 36 seconds today, all right? Because we, we get in that agenda, and when your timing is different than someone else's timing, anybody's that affected your marriage? Raise your hand. Let's just take a survey. Let me, I just want to see if there's a pattern here. I'm not going to reveal which of us is late, all right? But um, just, just take a survey for a second. How many of you, it's the men in your family that make you late? Raise your hand. Four, okay. How many of you is, it, is the women? Oh my goodness, we do have a pattern here. Anybody get in a fight on the way to church this morning about this? It's so easy to do because when your timing is different, you you tend to drive each other crazy. And today we're going to see that Jesus' timing is often so off that he could be charged with malpractice. I mean, Jesus' timing does not match our timing or his disciples' timing. And today we watch a fascinating story in the Gospel of Mark. We we see this duo and their story is intertwined. We've got this important man and we have an anonymous woman. He is respected. She is rejected. He is wealthy. She is bankrupt. He is a leader in the synagogue. She's been excommunicated from the synagogue. He's got a 12-year-old daughter that's about to die. She's got a 12-year-old disease that won't go away. And in the middle of this, they've got some timing issues. Now, here's the challenge for us. The challenge for us is when you ask God to act, and yet God does not act until over here. The big challenge is not when He acts. The big challenge is that time in between, right? 
When you've asked God to do something, Lord, bring me a mate. Seems like they never come. Lord, heal my marriage. Seems like it's never healed. Lord, heal my body. You know, can't quite happen. And, and you find yourself right here is the place where it's hard to trust God in his timing. And let's be real honest here. What makes it even worse is when you find yourself here and in the midst of this, God is answering other people's prayers about the same thing. Maybe you've been praying for a mate and you don't have a mate. But someone else you know, they get a mate. Maybe you've got cancer and we've been praying as a church about this. And I mean, you're happy when you hear the announcement that someone is, you know, they don't see the cancer any longer. But you think, well, why did God answer that prayer for them? Or you're praying for your relative not to die and someone else is healed and your relative dies. And you're thinking, this is just not right, you know. Not only is my timing not lining up with God's timing, but other things are happening with other people before they happen with me or don't even happen with me. And I don't get it. You see what I'm saying here? And that's the story here. That we're going to see in Mark chapter 5. I want you to go to verse 21 with me. And let's go through the story. And let's see these two characters. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus. He fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter's dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. Now this is a pretty shocking story. We have a synagogue leader. Now we know from this point in the Gospel of Mark that the leaders of the religious establishment not only don't like Jesus, not only think he's a heretic, but they're trying to kill him. And you know this synagogue leader, he's been impacted by this. And I'm sure everybody's saying, don't you dare go to Jesus. Interesting to me, he doesn't even send any family. Don't you go to Jesus. I mean, he's, he's an imposter. But listen to me. This synagogue ruler is desperate. And he doesn't care what anybody thinks. My daughter, my 12-year-old daughter, is about to die. I don't care what you think. I've heard this man can do it. I'm getting to Jesus. Now look what happens. There's an interruption though. His daughter's about to die and Jesus gets interrupted. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. That's Jesus. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she got and she grew worse. Wow. In the middle of this, there's this crowd This woman is coming to Jesus. She's been bleeding for 12 years. No cure. She's been to every doctor. All it's done is bankrupt her. Sort of a slap at first century doctors here. Interesting point here of the three gospels that tell this story. Dr. Luke does not tell that the doctors have bankrupt her. All right. He leaves that out. But but Mark doesn't. So she's in trouble. She's desperate. Look at verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. That had happened back in Mark chapter 3. She knew about it. She's desperate. 
If I just get close enough to touch him, maybe I'll finally be healed. Immediately, it happens. Her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Isn't that interesting? She gets close enough. She touches him. The bleeding stops immediately. She's healed. And Jesus, the word here for power is Jesus knew the dynamite had gone out from him. Listen to me. Any of you that are involved in ministry, whether it's one-on-one ministry or whether it's preaching and your heart's into it, when you give yourself to somebody, I'm going to tell you this, you are going to be drained. You will feel the power go out from you. And Jesus felt that. And then Jesus really confounds his disciples. Look at what happens next. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, Who touched my clothes? And listen to his disciples. You see the people crowding against you, and yet you ask, Who touched me? They're like, Come on, Jesus, you are crazy, man. I mean, we are packed in here. I mean, people are touching you on every side trying to get to this crowd, and you're going to ask, Jesus, we finally got you on this one. My goodness, you're going to ask, Who touched me? No way you could ever figure out who touched you. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You see, listen, guys. This woman has been an outcast. You've got to understand what it means to be unclean. You want to get a little deeper in this? Go back to Leviticus chapter 12, Leviticus chapter 15. For a woman just to have her natural bleeding would make her unclean for seven days. This woman has been unclean for 12 years. That means if she touches her husband, he becomes unclean for a week. That means if she hugs her children, they're unclean. That means if a stranger bumps against her, they're unclean. That means if the rabbi touches her, he's unclean. Uh, we still see a little bit of this today. I mean, look at this picture, the, the latest Pope. There's been great controversy around the fact that he washed the feet, not just of anybody, but of a woman and of a Muslim. So it still even sort of lingers to our day. There's certain people you're not supposed to touch. Jesus is not supposed to touch or be touched by her. That's why she's so afraid when Jesus tries to point her out. She's thinking, I'm just going to sneak in here, you know. I've heard about this. I'm just going to get the tassel on the bottom of his garment. I'm going to grab it. It's going to work. She thinks it's worked. And then Jesus says, who touched me? And she's trying to fade in the crowd, but he's persistent. And finally she said, it was me. I mean, this is, this is an odd position for Jesus because the truth is, if Jesus is touched by her and he didn't have the power he had, he would be unclean. I mean, listen, guys, if you're Jairus here and you're watching this, first of all, you're a little bit perturbed that he's taking this kind of time with this woman when your daughter is dead. And now on top of that, there's a possibility that he's going to become unclean and cannot do anything for you, that he's going to have to be excommunicated for a while. In fact, look what happens here. You got to feel for Jairus. Verse 35. 
While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Can you imagine the frustration of this man? He's got to Jesus. His daughter's dying. They're on their way. I don't know how much time Jesus took with this woman. I mean, the Bible says she told her whole story. It might not have been a quick encounter. But Jairus is sitting there thinking, my goodness, Jesus. I mean, this woman's got a chronic illness. I mean, she's been going on forever. Could you not wait and come back for her? My daughter, you know, she's got a life-threatening illness. I mean, if we're in the emergency room, you know, you take one patient to try triage, other patient, you go somewhere. I mean, Jesus could be charged with malpractice in our day. I mean, here's somebody dying, and yet you take time to do this. And Jairus has got to be thinking this the whole way. Because Jesus' delay has proven deadly. Now, we know the rest of the story, but you've got to stop here and sympathize with him for a moment. So, so they've come and said, he's dead. She's dead. Leave this. We, we weren't too sure about you going to this guy anyway, but just leave him alone. Come on. He can't do anything about this. Listen to verse 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. How often does Jesus say that to us? Jesus, things don't look right. It looks like you didn't hear my prayer. It looks like you weren't around. It looks like you don't care. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Guys, that's hard. But it's like the collision of two cultures on two different time schedules. Now, if you're from a culture where being late is almost expected, it's very different than being from a culture where we like to do things on time. Many of you in the audience here, you have been to Malawi, all right? Do they care anything about being on time? Man, it drove me nuts, I'm telling you. Never going back to Malawi. I mean, I'm telling you, no, no, I'd love to go back. But I mean, you know, you know, if they tell you they're going to do something tomorrow, you might as well wait a week. You know, if you don't have water for four days, they're okay with it. I mean, everything was just, well, you know, why don't we meet on time? The church, you know, so start at one time, it starts an hour later. They're just, they're just not in any hurry. They just say, that's Malawi. And so when we Americans go there, you've got a collision of two cultures. Now, can you imagine two people getting married... And they're from different cultures. And, and, and let's say, in one culture, they don't, they're not real uptight about time. Like in our culture, we are. In our culture, if the groom shows up 30 minutes late, what do we do? We are freaking out, aren't we? We think it's rejection. In Malawi, they think he's a great guy, okay? It, it, it doesn't make sense. So you got one side of the audience who's just as comfortable as anything, don't know when he's showing up. Another side's like, oh my goodness, he has jilted her. And that's what's happening here. And guys, I feel like that's what happens with us and God. We're coming from two different perspectives where with us, we're all uptight. God's not uptight at all. And he's just trying to say over to us, is, okay, don't worry about being 30 minutes late. It's going to be okay. Now, now listen to this. God's sense of timing will confound you no matter what culture you're from. In last week's message, 
Jesus is trying to teach them that don't let the storm scare you. You're going to go through storms. It's going to be okay. In, in this week's message, don't let my delay scare you. It's going to be okay. Last week we found out that, that Jesus is present even in the storms of life. This week we find out he's present in the delays and the nose of life. Jesus says, I will not be hurried because I love you. And I will not be hurried even though I love you. Many of us begin to doubt the love of God because his pace and his timing is different than ours. And this story reminds us he's on a different time frame than yours and mine. And Jairus hangs in there. you got to give him credit. Look at what happens, verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. That is an understatement. You know, we go into a funeral home today, and there'll be a little sign going in the chapel that will say, Quiet, please. They did not have those signs. I mean, this day, you when you go to funeral, you are expected to wail, scream. There's going to be flute players. Everybody there is expected at some point to rip their clothes. And then you got to wear them for a month. And if it's not loud enough, people in this day were known to hire wailers to make it seem like a great funeral. And so Jesus walks in this scene and there's flute players and there's people ripping their clothes and they're screaming. It's a commotion. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Can you imagine? They think to themselves, Jesus, we know when someone's dead. We're not dummies. He's, she's dead. Don't come in here with this spiritual sleep business. And look what Jesus does. I love it. He kicks them out. After he put them all out, I'm tired of your wailing. I'm tired of your lack of faith. I'm about to do something good. You guys get out of the room. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. My friends, when God does come through, you're astonished. But let's go back to the middle of the story. And let's answer this question. Why is God's timing so, at least on our perspective, why is his timing so off? Let me give you a few answers here to close out. I hope you're taking notes. Write these down. Number one, God is on ET. That's not Eastern time. He is on eternal time. You know, I've always, I've, I don't know about you, but I've never wanted to live on Eastern time. I don't want to live anywhere where the news comes on at 11 o'clock. That's crazy. Okay? Because we're not talking about just an hour difference. We're talking about eternal time. I mean, we're dealing with a, a, a guy here that um, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. He's not one hour off, my friends. He is eternity off. And so you've got to understand this when you're dealing with God. 
that he is on a different time schedule than we are. And, and delays do not bother him like they bother us. He's not uptight about them. Now I'm about to say something that I'm not trying to be tried about. That personally I'll confess to you, I don't have this down pat. But I think as Christians we need to work on this. So, so just hold on to me. Let, me. let me let me say this to you. Death does not bother him like it bothers us. Why? Because he's got death whooped. I mean, he understands the big thing. Whether you live 20 years, 40 years, 80 years, 100 years, to him in view of eternity is not much difference. It's just a drop in the bucket, period. So if you're dealing with God, you've got to understand this. Completely different perspective on time. Number two, his priorities are different than ours. Here's a statement of Charles Stanley I read years ago that I'd like you to be reminded of. Some things are so important to God that they are worth interrupting the happiness and health of his children to accomplish them. You understand that? God's priorities are just different. And, and, and you know, where, where ours is, man, you know, the American deal is, man, I got to be happy, man. If I'm not happy, then I get out of my marriage. If I'm not happy, I change jobs. If I'm not happy, I change jobs. I mean, I'm just supposed to be happy. That's my God-given right. No. God, God's not real concerned about whether he's got to interrupt your health or your happiness because he's got bigger priorities. What he's wanting to do is he's wanting to mold your character. What he's more concerned about is not how good you got it here on this earth, but where you're going to be for eternity, all right? And so he's got different priorities. And many of us, what we need to do is try to ask the question in that middle spot that's so uncomfortable, God, what are you trying to teach me? What am I not understanding that you want me to know? How are you trying to mold me? What are your priorities in this situation? I know they're different than mine. Number three. He knows that desperation is a strong motivator. It feels like he's committing malpractice. But he literally tries to break you to remake you. We talked just a couple of weeks ago about the parable of the souls. What hope is for what hope is there out there for that hard-hearted person whose soul is so hard the gospel won't penetrate? I'm going to tell you what hope there is. We find it in this story. He's going to break you. He's going to spend some time breaking up that soul, pounding that soul, tilling that soul. It's a painful process, but that's what he's doing. Because he wants it to be soft enough at some point to allow the seed of the gospel to go deep. Because that's where spiritual growth starts with almost every one of us. That's the Beatitudes. Where does it start? Blessed are the poor in spirit. It starts when you're like these two characters. You're bankrupt. Not just financially, but spiritually. You know your life is so messed up you can't go anywhere on your own. And so, so God knows at times it's not a bad thing for you and I to get in a corner where things are so bad we're desperate. Because then we understand at some point, like Jairus, if I could just get Jesus to my daughter. Or like this woman, if I could just touch Jesus, it'd change. So we might hate that position, but God 
thinks it's a great position. Number four, he wants to give you far more than you ask for. I mean, both of these people in this story, they get more than they ask for. The woman comes simply wanting to be healed. But Jesus says, I want to stop. I want you to know me. I want to know your story. I, I, I don't want you just to be some superstitious woman who thinks if I touch this garment, I'm going to be okay. I want more for you than that. I want you to encounter the Son of God. I want you to be saved. More than just physically. Jairus, Jairus just wants a, a cure for his daughter. But he gets a resurrection. And listen to me. God, God's not trying to be a killjoy here. He just wants more for you than you want for you. And let me tell you, beware when you come to God. Because his timing is different. And what he wants for you is different than what you want for you. You might just want a good church. You just might want your marriage to be healed. You, you might just want your children to, to like the youth group. You, I mean, that, that's cool. But, but he should say to you, no, I want more for you than that. I want you to know me. I want you to trust me. I want you to be changed. He wants more for you than you want. And then number five, he wants you to give him far more than you ever expected. Not only is he going to give you more, he wants you to give him what you might not have expected, he wants you to trust him. You just wanted a decent church. You just wanted a good ministry for your children. You just wanted a place to make friends. And he said, oh, that's well enough. But what I really want you to do, and I'm going to put you out on the edge, and I might even break you. What I want you to do, I want more than that from you. Because we, we, we have made Christians such a low common denominator in our culture. Basically, a Christian, somebody who goes to church, you got a little bit better morals. Jesus said, I want so much more than you. I want you to literally be someone who trusts God even when you don't understand what he's doing. Who trusts God when he doesn't answer your prayers. Who trusts God when he doesn't do what you've asked him to do. That's what I want for you. I want so much more. I want you to trust me. And so here, guys, here's the point of our stories today. You can trust Him. Despite the delays in life, despite the unanswered prayers, despite His schedule being completely different than you, and you're waiting and waiting and waiting, and despite the sense, the, the feeling that at times what God's doing just doesn't make sense, the story says, calm down, be patient. Trust me. I know my time is weird. I know my priorities are probably different than yours. But, but here's what I want. I want you to get something much better than you, you wanted. And, and I want you to give me something deeper than just going to church. I want you to learn to trust me. And I'm going to put you in some awkward positions where it's not going to make sense. But I want you to trust me. Now, I know this this morning. There are many of us in here that are struggling with God's timing. I mean, you've asked for things that are not happening. It doesn't make sense. It's made you question your faith. It's even made you question whether God loves you or not. And I want to give you a chance this morning to be prayed for, okay? We have a couple of different things you can do today. I want to ask the elders that are present and their wives, if any of them could come and just surround the stage. Any of the elders present, if they're available to come surround the stage. Just come on up here. 
In a moment during the invitation, you don't have to come write anything down. You don't have to come say anything to me. I just invite you to go to one of these couples. And and, and here, you'll help them out a lot. If you'd, first of all, whether you think they know you or not, it's sort of a position up here. Would you at least give them your name and say, guys, man, I've been waiting on this. Or my relationship with God's been hurt by this. And I can't get over this. Would, would, Would you just pray for me? Would you pray I could see things from God's perspective just a little bit better today? So some of you, I challenge you to come up here in just a moment while we're singing and just give them your name and tell them what's going on, as many, much detail or little details you want to give. And you could leave today prayed for and blessed. There's others of you today, and you're more than just in that awkward waiting stage. You have reached the point of desperation. And maybe you come in church and nobody knows it. But, but, but you know what? Maybe you finally got to the point that Jairus was at where you just don't care what anybody else thinks about you. You just don't care about that. And, and you're willing to lose your pride. And you're, you, you, or you're like this woman and you just think, if, if, I could just, if I could just touch him, if I could just get to him and touch him, That'd be awesome. And today, maybe you need to come to this front row and you need to just finally surrender. Because you've gotten to that point where things need to change. You guys want to welcome our young people here while you're not paying attention to me. All right. Just welcome welcome these guys. We're glad they're in here. But today what I'm saying to you is some of you, you've reached that point of brokenness. And you think, this is awful. And God says, oh no, this is not awful. This could be the best place you've ever been at. If you're desperate enough to find... Some of you guys, you've been having pride for a long time. You need to get down this aisle. And maybe finally you're desperate enough to go, I want to become a Christian. i got to have Jesus. If something could just change today, I'm tired of the world I've been living in. Let me tell you, you can trust him. There's this, there's this beautiful part of this scene. And, 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 and it only happens in Mark's gospel. And remember we said the first week here that, that Mark's source for his gospel is Peter. So obviously Peter remembered this scene very vividly. Because Mark records Jesus' words in Aramaic. Understand this, Jesus would have spoke Aramaic. The Bible was written in Greek. And he remembers when Jesus came to that little girl and said, Talitha kum. You know, you know what that means? It, it, it's, a, it's a term of endearment. It's like saying, little lamb. He, here's the way we'd probably put it. You'd walk in that girl's room, you'd grab her hand, and you'd simply say, Honey, it's time to get up. That's how tender how beautiful this moment was. Honey, you've just been sleeping. I'm not afraid of death. I'm on eternal time. It's time for you to get up. Listen to me. How can you not trust a God like that? Why would you want to hurry a God who really wants to do something bigger in your life than you even think? Why hurry him? Because one moment he's just going to grab your hand and say, Honey, sweetie pie, little lamb, it's time for you to get up.
So this morning, if you need prayers about what's going on in your life with one of our elders and their wives, or you're in desperation, ready to surrender your life to Jesus, why don't you come right now while we stand together and sing?